The Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative from the Bush White House and President Obama's Cyberspace Policy Review emphasized the need to improve the nation's IT security awareness and education and build a stronger federal government IT security workforce. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of GovInfoSecurity.com and Information Security Media Group, and today I'm pleased to welcome Ernest McGuffey, the lead of the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education. That's known by the acronym NICE. Welcome, Ernest. Thank you very much. For those unfamiliar with NICE, please take a few moments to explain what it is. As your introduction indicated, the CNCI, Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative, started under the previous administration, has been continued by the Obama administration and changed somewhat. The previous initiative was federally focused, and now we're uh, moving it to a, a national focus. So NICE is actually the extension of Initiative 8 under CNCI, which was the education initiative. We have taken over all the activities that were ongoing under that initiative, and are in the process of expanding them to a, a national focus. NICE consists of four tracks. Two are aimed at the public, one to make the nation more cybersecurity aware, and another to foster K-12 IT security education programs to help build the cybersecurity workforce of the future. Since our audience are primarily government people, I would like to focus our discussion on the other two tracks that concentrated on attracting IT security professionals to the federal workforce and to intensify training and professional development programs for existing federal cybersecurity workforce. First off, how many cybersecurity professionals does the federal government need to adequately secure its information systems? That number is probably pretty hard to determine to any uh, real degree of uh, accuracy. Uh, that's part of the effort that's ongoing right now to see what the actual demand is. I've heard uh, numbers ranging anywhere from 10 to 30,000. Additional hires will be needed over the short term. But let me, let me go back and um, correct a couple of, a couple of things. Uh, track two which is our formal education track that you mentioned as being focused on K-12, through is actually focused on the entire educational spectrum, uh, pre-K through 20-plus, if you will. They're going to start with a focus in the K-12 through area, but it, it, it's really looking at the entire spectrum of the educational workspace. And uh, the last two tracks that you, that you had mentioned, track three, looking at the federal workforce structure, and track four, professional development and training of the federal workforce, those two, as we mentioned, are morphing, if you will, to expand their scope beyond just the federal workforce structure and federal uh, training of personnel to a more nationally focused effort. So for OPM, who are the leads for track through track three on the uh, workforce structure area, they're certainly going to continue that work. It's a it's a huge task in itself just to get a handle on all the various uh, job titles competencies and responsibilities within the federal government. You can imagine that DOD has a huge footprint in this space, and, and their uh, culture is uh, very different from the civilian agencies. OPM has responsibilities across the board. They're trying to get all that together in a uh, coherent uh, picture so we can understand exactly what that will lead to is understanding exactly what the demand is for the workforce within the federal government. And once we've established that, that will be of interest to federal contractors, to large private sector companies, and certainly to academia so that they can line up their training and uh, recruitment practices so that it fits 
in well with what's happening at the federal level. And also there will be uh, items of best practice that will be of interest to other communities as well that they'd probably like to uh, emulate. Let's talk a bit about the relationship between what happens in the federal government in cybersecurity training and the rest of the country as it relates to getting qualified people. And one reason I raise that is we have two sister sites. One covers the banking industry and the other healthcare industry in, in IT security. So what are some of those synergies? Yeah, it's really very interesting um, there. The ones that you just mentioned are highly involved in this area and, and have a high demand for skilled people and become competitors in a sense to what's happening inside the federal government. Uh, we've got uh, specific programs out there that are designed to attract, recruit, and retain people in federal service, but it's difficult to compete sometimes with private sector because of salary structures and, and other things like that. Our location, there's just a number of issues that put us in direct competition with them. We struggle sometimes. We'll get people in and uh, get them trained up, and then they'll get stolen away by uh, the lure of higher salaries others. So we have to try to make the federal government positions as attractive and stable as possible. We do enjoy one benefit, though. Recently, particularly kind of post-9-11, the younger generation has, I've witnessed, a resurgence of old-style patriotism among a large segment of the younger generation that are in school training now and looking for what they're career paths are going to be, there are people there, particularly those who are engaged with our Federal Cyber Service Scholarship for Service Program, that state explicitly that the reason they are attracted to that program is because they have a desire to give back to the country and would like to use their technical skills in its service. That's a benefit that's something that we can offer that can't be duplicated elsewhere. So it's an ongoing, a very competitive space. I think anyone interested in starting a new career, uh, this is a, a good place to go. These jobs won't be offshore. They'll remain in this country, and there's going to be a long uh, lifetime for this stuff. It's not going to go away anytime soon. So let's pick up a little bit of that as we talk about the third track, which is aimed at attracting, recruiting, and retaining cybersecurity employees. The selling point, how much of their work, or the people involved in this track, involve non-education areas, but trying to identify the workers and persuading them to come work for government. Well, that's very interesting. Uh, OPM, from the beginning of the uh, Federal Cyber Service Scholarship for Service Program, has been in close partnership with the National Science Foundation, who is the uh, lead agency for that uh, scholarship program, as well as uh, DHS and NSA. They're involved in providing designations for us. Uh, Centers of Academic Excellence and Information Assurance Education, which is one of the, um, the things that the scholarship program looks for in terms of the, the schools where they uh, recruit from. So OPM's role in that has been identifying positions within federal government uh, where these students might do internships, which would lead to their final permanent assignment once they uh, graduate, complete their degree work. They maintain a database of all the currently active students to include their resumes and and the areas of interest that they are pursuing, provide that information to all federal agencies. If a federal agency is looking to hire someone in cybersecurity field, they have a, a place they can go to immediately to see a listing of uh, people who are 
just about ready to come out of college or or are nearing the end of a program that they can tie into uh, right away. We also have another kind of disadvantage within federal government. It's a pretty lengthy process bringing a person from civilian to federal employee, uh, particularly if there's security clearances involved, that can really open the process out. So by having this scholarship for service program in place, it's possible for agencies to identify students early on, get them involved in internship programs, and start security clearance process ahead of time so that hopefully when they graduate, it lengthens that period in between graduation and actually becoming employed. OPM has been instrumental in supporting that program and providing resources to to help it along. Now, I'm listening to you, and two things come to mind. One is, is part of this track, or this really isn't relevant to that, is to maybe looking at means of shortening the time it takes to hire critically needed personnel? That need goes across government. It's not really specific just to uh, cybersecurity employees. I think in all the critical job skills of the federal government, there's a need to streamline that process, and people are working on that effort independent of this effort that we're doing here in uh, NICE. That's uh, like an ongoing, overarching need that's been recognized within the government. And the other point I want to bring up is that you're talking about this recruitment and identifying people who are finishing college programs, the university programs. They would tend to be more entry-level or lower-level employees, and are they the skills that the government really needs, or they need them from all different levels, and what's being done to identify people at higher levels? The need is across the spectrum, from low-level to mid-level to senior-level and the scholarship program actually affects people at from PhDs all the way down to community colleges. You'll get people coming out of school, particularly now, with a lot of retraining going on where you'll have older individuals going back to school for retraining, would have a body of experience already with them, and adding this, these extra educational pieces on top of them would make them eligible for mid-level to senior-level positions as well as the traditional student uh, coming out who would be applying for the uh, entry-level position. So all those areas are, are in play and are, are needed within the federal government, and we're trying to affect the entire spectrum. Now, not only that, but people already within the government that are looking to do retraining or moving, uh, we're trying to provide assistance for them as well. It's uh, a combination of, of everything. You know, the need is so great and the uh, mission so important that we're trying to think outside the box and not leave any stone unturned in terms of identifying people and resources to apply to the problem. Can you point out one or two examples of something thinking outside the box? One of the main things that we're trying to encourage and support within the uh, NICE initiative is the idea of public-private partnerships. Clearly, the federal government cannot solve this problem by itself. Critical infrastructure within this country is 80 to 85 percent controlled by the private sector. So it's, it's critically important that we form these types of partnerships for the long term in terms of sustainability of these efforts going on. I recently uh, attended a planning session at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida where they're looking at a specific need uh, to that region where, as you may be aware, um, 
NASA is in the process of shutting down the uh, space shuttle operations, and there's a huge number of personnel, highly skilled technical personnel, and in that area of Florida that are associated with that effort that are going to be looking to do something else, or they're going to lose that critical workforce there. A partnership is being formed between state government, NASA, some federal contractors at the Kennedy Space Center, local community colleges and uh, universities in the area to form this, uh, what they're uh, planning to do is stand up a global institute for cybersecurity research and education, which would help them not only with the uh, the retraining of the workforce there, but provide a venue for people to keep and capture that workforce and keep them working in this uh, cybersecurity space in, in that local area. Assuming that they are successful in establishing that institution, it could actually become a model that could be uh, uh, used in other uh, areas around the country where you have workforces and and um, people in flux moving uh, from one career field to another uh, to help with that transition and, and help meet this demand for expertise in the cybersecurity area. I was going to ask you actually about that program. I believe there's upward of a thousand people who may be losing their jobs there. Is part of this program also not just to be training them, but perhaps structuring government in a way to have people working down there in Florida? There's issues of structure in terms of what's your career path. Do you really have a sustainable career path within federal government that starts with entry-level positions or progresses through more technical fields and then moves in middle management and, and up the chain? Are those career paths established? Are they advertised? Are they well-known? That would be part of the sustainability and an attractive piece to the recruitment aspects. My initiative itself isn't involved directly with restructuring anything within federal government, but we're studying what is in place and looking at ways to improve and uh, advertise the opportunities that already exist. That's Ernest McDuffie, leader of NICE, the National Initiative for Cyber Education. I'll continue my conversation with Dr. McDuffie in another podcast, when among the topics we'll discuss, creating metrics to determine whether the programs NICE promotes are achieving their goals. Till then, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.